I want to say just a couple things to our folks and let you know that, that how important it is, whether we're talking about me here or the next pastor of City Church. But first of all, I want us to understand that we have spent a great deal of effort and time and energy to meet you right where you're at. If you're here and you're a young person or a kid, we found you in the neighborhood. We might have found you because the pastor rode up on a bicycle pulling hundreds of pounds of food just for you and your family every day without even being asked. We have rearranged our parks and our buildings in such a way that they accommodate you so that you can come even without your parents and we can love on you. And I want you to know you belong here. We are your church and we're thankful for every, but you need to understand that you also need to make an effort to meet us so that together we can have a time where we lift our eyes higher than the rowdiest, noisiest kid or adult in the room. I want to say to the adults too, listen, I understand that culturally we live in a really strange time and there's not a lot of respect left for a preacher. But I want you to know it, it is devastating when we come and we're not prepared to worship. The second thing I want to say is Sunday morning is a special time. This is not Tuesday, this is not Wednesday, and this is not uh, recreation-based. We do that because there needs to be a time where we can begin to introduce concepts into the, and frankly, teach the children, teach the adults, uh, and teach ourselves concepts on the Word of God that require more attention than what we would give if we were shooting hoops for an hour and talking for 10 minutes. We need more time, and we need a greater attention span, or we will never grow beyond just drinking spiritual milk from a spiritual bottle. And, and just by necessity, that's what Sunday morning is going to be. So it is never going to be a catch-all, rowdy, swinging from the chandeliers, gymnasium, blow it up, walk away, you know what I mean? Throw a hand grenade in the room and I'll laugh about it later. This will never be that time. Because, listen, children, I'm going to challenge you, and adults, I'm going to challenge you to expect more out of each other and out of yourselves. That when we come on Sunday morning, we need to have our Bibles ready. We need to have a pen ready to write and take notes. You need to assume that whoever is preaching has been agonizing for hours the week prior so that he could bring a fresh word from the Lord. And we are not wasting time. And, and I commit to you, we will never give away a Sunday. Now, the last thing I want to say is I love preaching the Word of God. If you said, Donnie, what do you like doing more than air? More than watching the Dallas Cowboys play, and they better beat the 49ers this afternoon, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cancel my plans for a Cowboys flagpole. You know what I mean? If we can't beat the 49ers, we're going to mourn next week. But, but more than watching the Dallas Cowboys, I love to preach. It's what I do. It's in my blood. It's what I'm called to do. But listen, I hate holding the word of God up to ridicule. And I'm not going to do it anymore. Listen, I worked here for free for the first three years I was here. When I began to get paid for two more years, I made less than the person who cleans our buildings. You don't have to pay me for me to do my job. You really don't. I do it for free. I'm committed to you guys. But listen, we have to have a place where somebody can get up and preach the word of God or we're dead. So now that we've got that out of the way, I know that that sounded a little bit negative, but it needed to be said. Before we had a park, 
before we had a kitchen, before we had a sanctuary, there was a man who was my father, and we gathered around as humbly as we could, and he preached the word of God like it was his last chance to do it. And that is what this church is built upon. And everything else could explode, and we'd still be in business as long as you have a man willing to agonize over God's word for your spiritual needs and faithful to get up and share it with all of his heart. And I commit to you, I will do that. Kids, I need you to show up on Sunday morning ready to participate. Okay, let's turn to Psalms 127 because David is answering two questions because these are the questions that we have. One, why in the world do we preach? Why do we bother doing this thing that culturally seems so irrelevant? It's not Chuck E. Cheese. It's not a video game. <laughs> There's no CGI graphics of exploding buses behind me or anything like that. You know what I mean? I mean, it is strange. You know, it is the whole process of this thing is strange. Second thing is, why in the world do we keep bringing kids that are talking all the way through church? Those are the two questions. Why in the world do we not just sing give a little sermonette on God's little friends, the animals, you know what I mean? And second of all, why do we keep bringing children who come without their parents, oftentimes just come to eat a breakfast and then snore through church? So those are the questions we're going to answer today. In Psalms 127, I'm going to preach from the ESV, but I'm going to begin. I want to read this to you the first time from the New Living Translation. It says in Psalm 127, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. And then it says in verse 3, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. Let's pray together, can we? Father, as we think and focus and listen to your word, we pray that you would speak to us. Father, we pray that your word would sink deeper than our skin and muscles down deep into our bones and become part of who we are, that it would change us. God, we need your help because we are humans and you are God. And we pray that your voice will be the loudest voice in this room more effective than any other influence. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. First thing I want us to notice, I want to talk to you about why we preach. And that is what is stated so clearly in verse 1 of this psalm, that the work of God is what matters most. The work of God is what matters most. What does it say? Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. The psalmist says that God is a superior builder. Have you ever asked yourself why we build homes? Why we purchase homes that are already built? What you look for when you go inside a home for the first time? Well, we ask ourselves, where would I eat in this home? 
Where would I sleep in this home? We even ask, yes, where would I go to the bathroom in this home? Where would I shower in this home? Where will my children play outside this home and inside this home? Where will we put our things in this home? And we try to find the most peaceful, comfortable place we can because that's the purpose of having a home. It's a place where you can enjoy rest and peace with those you love the most and those that love you the most. What is this psalmist saying? That to try to attempt to have peace and rest and quiet outside of the efforts of God is to do it in vain. In other words, it's a waste of your effort. It's a waste of your time and resources. You know, the other day I was in a parking lot, and how many of you kids have lost a balloon? You know what I mean? You hate that, right? And I saw this mother, and I was parked next to a, a restaurant that accommodates birthday parties, and she came out, and she had three or four of these balloons, and I could tell there was one baby in a stroller and a couple more walking beside her, and she was having to wrestle, not just to get the kids where they need to go in the car, but they had the balloons, and I know as a parent, what you do is you wrestle with those balloons, and they're bobbing around, you know, and the kids are letting go just to watch them rise, but, you know, they're, so they're tied on their wrist, and they're beating, and they're trying to get in the car, and she's trying to buckle baby in and wrestle balloons, hitting her in the face, and you just know as a parent, what happens is you get everything the car and then inevitably you start driving down the road and here come the balloons right and they just come right in front of your face and you can't get rid of them and all this stuff so I just kind of was watching to see how long it would take for her to pop those balloons but she didn't have to she did all this trouble and all this wrestling and the kids were arguing and wanting their balloon they wouldn't get in the car without their balloon they got inside the car and she got everybody in and all of a sudden the little boy let go of his balloon and it just floated away that's exactly what this psalmist is saying you can wrestle, you can fight, you can control, you can manipulate, you can threaten, you can do all those things. But if there's not something that is a work of God going on in your home and, uh, and in your life, everything you're doing and all your effort is in vain. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this around the, the kitchen table here. And let's just pretend we're sitting at a table and I, and I just, we're in a counseling situation. I just want to tell you something about your preacher, okay? That if I am the greatest guy in the world here at the church and I lose my kids, I have lost everything. That I'm, I, I just going to be honest with you. If you're here and you're a parent, I want you to look at your kids. There's a lot of good work you're going to do. But God is doing a work in your home that is far more important than anything else going on. I want you to know as a church that God's doing a work in our church to build this house, the house, his people, not the walls, not the buildings. Those seem to be crumbling around us, but the children, their families, God is doing work. And listen, folks, we could strategize. We could wear each other out and motivate each other to, to the cows come home. But if God is not leading, if God is not guiding, everything we're doing is in vain. This is why we preach. If you ever have a pastor that tries to lead from staff meetings, just understand you need to find another pastor. If he tries to administrate by one-on-one by -on -one coffee talks and meetings together, listen, that's not when the leadership of a church goes on. If someone is not opening up God's word and applying it to the life of the church, that church is not being led by God. This is the whole purpose of all this, folks. We can love one another, have fun together, motivate one another. Cute, the kids are cute. 
Listen, we could never gather again, and in our flesh, we would be as happy as a lark, and we would lose every single kid we have, including our own. Why? Because there's not an opportunity for God to bring conviction of sin, to bring something to the, to the table that's not even on our minds, to open up a vision of what life could be that's beyond our own perspectives and our own experiences, for God to call a young person who's sitting in a seat wondering if God's forgotten them. I mean, these things are all the things that happen. The spiritual work goes on when someone gathers together and opens up the word of God and preaches from the heart. And short of this activity, of this strangeness that God blesses, of someone getting up and speaking the word of God, God does not have the opportunity to lead, to design, and to move. And you'd say, well, Donnie, what about teaching? What about discipleship? Listen, folks. I'm going to say something that might shock you, but did you know that until about 1,400 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, there was not such a thing as a printed Bible that you could just carry and buy a copy of. The word of God was preached. That's how people heard it. It was written so that it could be preserved, not written so that it could be read privately. The word of God is meant to be preached and absorbed and felt and heard and lived and heard together as a group so that we're all accountable together for the truth that's found in God's word. The plan for God's word was never that it be printed and distributed all over the world so people could hovel together and pick out verses that they love and keep them in private and never live out his faith and never preach it to the masses and never let it be heard to the human ear. God's word is alive because it's preached it can be so easily avoided when it's in a paper form. It can be so easily avoided when it's on a cell phone and every notification and email bling comes in and interrupts and every, every uh, noise that jars and everything that can pull you away can. And listen, David understood there is a work that God must do in my life. There is an intervention and a distraction that he brings to my activity. And it's the very thing that, allow God, that allows God to bring about God's purposes. David said, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Then he says, unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Why do we guard our things why do we watch over those things that we have we're grateful that God's given us what he has and we want to preserve our things you know one of the our oldest daughter Alexis every kind every year at least one week in my little kindergarten chapel I'll steal her treasure chest and it's a little toy treasure chest and she got this little treasure chest. Do y'all, do you kids have these? And a shoe box or a cigar box or a bag or something where you keep all your treasures. And they might not seem like they're worth very much to the people that you live with, but for you, they mean everything. And Lexi has seashells that we gathered from, you know, trips that we took or rocks that we picked up on hikes together or a fish hook from the first fish that she cleaned or, you know, whatever is important to her and coins when she was a little girl that I would bring back to her and stuff that we would find uh, that she thought was pretty. That's her treasure. There are things that are precious to you, but this isn't talking so much about physical treasure. It's talking about a spiritual treasure. I want to ask you something. Do you, do you have a spiritual treasure? 
Are there things in your life that are spiritually valuable to you that if you were to lose them, you would feel a great sense of loss? Loss of opportunity, loss of a chance to grow spiritually, loss of integrity. You know, it's amazing how we guard our things. You know the best way to guard your spiritual treasure is to allow God to speak to you and make you the person that you need to be. What does that mean for a parent? Well, for a parent, that means if you want your child to truly be true to the word of God and you want to know that your child is going to be there serving the Lord as your heritage, take them to church. Teach them how to listen to the preaching of God's word. Because there's something that happens when the father is sitting next to the child. Listen, when I, one of my greatest pleasures in life is honestly every now and then, and it happens every now and then, not, not a lot, but every now and then, I'm able to attend church and sit with my children in worship. And I do that because I or will listen to a sermon at work. I'll pull Lexi in or in a car and they're able to listen and watch with me and see their father yield and put himself under the authority of the preaching of God's word. I, I, make, I have to make time for it. I, they, they see that this is important to my mother and my father. And I feel in such a way that I am doing what my father did with me. He guarded me not by throwing foam rubber around me, you know, and duct taping me up and putting a football helmet on top of my head. That's not how he guarded me because physically he knew that, you know, I'd get around. But, but spiritually he knew that if I don't expose my children, and my mother did as well, to the teaching and preaching of the word of God, I will lose them. It's amazing how God's word, the preaching of God's word, will guard a neighborhood. You take preaching out of a neighborhood and that neighborhood will decay and rot and mold. That's why City Church was planted in this place geographically. Did you know when we planted City Church nearly 22 years ago, there had not been a major church planted by any major denomination in 50 years. And what were the consequences? Well, the filth that we could see that they try to clean up on the boulevard, broken homes, ghettoized neighborhoods. It had nothing to do with economics. It had everything to do with the spiritual desert that was created when people quit preaching the word of God with love and, and faithfulness from the neighborhood pulpits. We guard our children. We guard our families. We guard our communities. And folks, we need God's help. Now, the psalmist says something, he's making some negative statements, but I want us to notice there's, there, there's a positive promise that comes about through these negative statements that he makes. He says, it is in vain when you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. That's kind of a negative statement, but it's truthful. But listen to the promise for God gives sleep, or he gives to his beloved sleep. In other words, listen, if you're a parent and you would say, how can I hold on to my kids? That rest, that peace really only comes from God. The closer you grow to God, 
the more peace you're going to have in your relationship with your children. If you're here and you are a teenager or a young person and you'd say, Donnie, <coughs> my family's falling apart. My parents are getting divorced. My family is going separate directions. I don't know what to do. Listen, you live for the Lord. You live for the Lord at, in your homes. You live for the Lord on your campuses. You live for the Lord in your teams, in your athletic teams, in your neighborhood. And you will be amazed the work that God does through your life and the peace that you'll have even in the midst of great hardship. And secondly, I want us to notice the second part of this psalm. We're going to move now to verse 3 because there's this beautiful picture that he, that he shares with us. He says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. What is he saying? Well, in the first part of this, this psalm, he tells us that God's work is the most important work. The second thing that he's telling us is that healthy, spiritually mature children are the greatest indication of God's blessing and approval. That spiritually mature children are the greatest indication that God is blessing and that he approves of our work. That's how we gauge success at City Church. If we lose our young people when they turn 15 or 16, something is wrong. And that's why we've adjusted and over the years been very innovative. There have been times that that very thing has happened. He says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. I wanted to share this with you in the ESV because that word heritage, I love that word heritage. You know, heritage is a unique thing. Let me tell you what the word heritage, a heritage is a gift that you inherit that no one can take away from you. But it is a gift that you can give away and forfeit. It's like an inheritance that belongs to you legally that no one can take from you. It is yours by all rights. No one can sue you for it. No one can take it away from you. No one can come and snatch it or steal it away from you. It is yours by right. It's yours forever. But listen, you can forfeit that heritage. You can abandon that heritage. You can walk away from that heritage. The Bible says that children are a heritage from the Lord. And I love the way he applies this truth. And, and I see this as he uses this illustration about arrows. He says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are, ch are the children of one's youth. What is he saying? Children are like arrows. Well, how are children like arrows? Well, there's a couple of things about arrows that we don't probably know because we don't walk around with them all the time, but David certainly did. David was a warrior. He knew the importance of, of uh, uh, to the warrior of having arrows. First of all, he said that, uh, or I believe that he would mean by saying that children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. When a warrior goes out to battle and he grabs an arrow, he does it expecting it to accomplish its purpose. In other words, he has great expectations for those arrows. He's pulling them out of his quiver and he's not just firing them willy-nilly into the air. He expects them to be the very thing that's going to make his life matter on that battlefield. I want to tell you kids something, and this was brought up last night by Mr. Pinkston when he spoke and Michael Pinkston was sharing about at a school uh, banquet and I told him after, I said, that is such a great insight. And, um, but listen, he was using this as an example that you have got to aim higher 
than, than where you're at right now. I want you young people to know we have great expectations for you. If we were to talk to your parents even or grandparents and we were to say, what would, what would really make you feel like so-and-so had arrived? Well, they probably want you to get an education. They probably want you to stay out of legal trouble. They don't want the police officers in your neighborhood to learn your first name. You know what I mean? Because then you're really in trouble if you've gotten uh, pulled aside that often. They probably would like for you to respect them. But you know, there's probably somebody in your life, and I hope that everyone has somebody. I want you to know we will be your somebody here at City Church. Maybe you have a grandmother. Maybe you have an aunt. Maybe you have an uncle or a grandfather. And their expectations for you are far greater than just staying out of trouble. We expect you to be nothing less than world changers. We would be wasting our time if our expectation was just for you to tread water and stay out of jail. Our expect, listen, we want you to lead the city. I expect for you to go to the far corners of the earth and to serve the Lord. I hope and pray and expect that there are missionaries in this room right now. The thing that I love that Michael said about arrows is true about children. The higher you aim, the farther they go. We preach because we have great expectations for you. That's why we bring our A game every time you're here on midweek at an after school program. We're not shooting from the hip. We're not spitballing. We don't just let somebody come practice preaching to you. We try to do our very best because we feel like the purpose that God has for you is worthy of our best efforts. The second thing that you must do when you're using an arrow, and I believe this relates to children as well, is you've got to have some clear intentions. I want you to know that God has a purpose that is clearly defined for you, but it's not what you think. You know, it's found... God's purpose for you is found in the last part of this psalm. He says, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. What is he talking about? We don't have a, you know, our gate leads outside of our backyard into the field, right? I mean, your gate leads into your front yard or your alley, depending on what side of the yard it's on. He's talking about a city gate. When you would go into the city, there would be this beautiful gate. It was the entrance into the city. You had this area where the men and women would gather, and mostly it was the most important folks. It was a lot like the town square. And it's where arguments took place. It's where people would work through problems. It's where people would, would uh, arrange marriages in their particular culture. It's where people would buy property. If someone wanted to take you to task, they would do it at the city gate where there were witnesses it's where you made your name. It's where you made your mark on your city. And what he's talking about is someone whose quiver is full of arrows. And he's using children as an example, as a heritage from the Lord. That when they're led under the authority and the guidance of God and God's word, they become like effective tools that bring glory at the gate. But listen, it's not our glory. It's God's glory. 
Listen, kids, I want you to look up at me for just a second, and I want to tell you, you are fantastic this morning. If I had time, I'd come around the room and give each of you a hug and a kiss just to thank you for listening so well, especially these tiny ones over here. I am so proud of what they're doing. They are amazing. But I want you to look up at me for a second. We take God's word seriously because the glory of the cross is worth it. The glory of the cross, the glory of what Jesus did for us on the cross, he is worthy of our highest glory, our greatest efforts, our, our largest sacrifices, our most faithful service. We're not here to build our own name or to make our own mark. We are here to bring glory and to bring attention to the love of the one who gave his life for us who left heaven to come to earth and live as a man and took the shame of sin. He became sin for us, but he's not buried. Not only was he crucified and buried, but listen, he resurrected and he is alive today. He is not a nomad. He is on a throne at the right hand of God the Father. And it is for his glory that here and everywhere we have a chance to stand flat-footed, we will preach the word of God faithfully. And listen, young people, I want to challenge you to take up that mantle and preach and teach and share the word of God wherever God plants you and puts you and sows you into the earth so that you can bring glory to his name it is worth it. Listen, if we were down here and we were building a brand, it wouldn't be worth it. We wouldn't worry about it. If we were trying to impress somebody about a certain culture or even a country, we would let it ride and we would just eat breakfast and pat one another on the back. But we are here to bring glory to the cross and it is worth all of our sacrifices and all of our lives and all of our best efforts. And that's why when we gather together on Sunday mornings, almost like a parent who would Lift the chin of a child. We will continue to lift your face up and say, you were born for more. You were born to be greater. You have a greater purpose than this. You don't have to live like this. You have a Savior that loves you. Look to Jesus. And every other time you're up here, we're going to eat ice cream together and shoot hoops and leave stains on the carpet and not even worry about it. You know what I mean? We'll swing from the chandeliers and high-five one another and yell at the top of our lungs. But I want you to know, when we gather together on Sunday morning and come in as a community of believers and missionaries, we're going to lift and lift our gaze beyond the horizons at a future that God has for our young people that is far greater than anything they can think or hope or dream of. Let's bow our heads together. This Can we? Can we go to the Lord in prayer this morning? And as we go to the Lord in prayer, I want to I wanna be clear this morning that children, we're going to give you a, a sweet time and a sweet opportunity uh, for you to be blessed and to pray, have someone pray for you. I also want to let our candidates for baptism to know they can go ahead and make their way and prepare to be baptized. But I want to speak specifically while our heads are bowed this morning. I want to speak specifically to those who are here who are facing a spiritual decision. And this is the decision. Do I truly have a growing relationship 
with Jesus Christ. Now, you might be here and you might be wondering, how do I know? I want to ask you, do you have a relationship where you're able to talk to God and he's able to speak to you through his word? Has there been a time in your life that you had a moment when you came to the end of yourself and you said, from this point on, I'm not going to try to earn my way to heaven or achieve some kind of punch list of things that I need to do right in order to get into heaven, but that I realize that actually all the things that I would heap up, all my good works, all the stuff I'm proud of is really just a bunch of filthy laundry compared to what Jesus Christ did for me. And like the Bible tells us in Romans that you're going to quit working and you're going to trust in the one who justifies the ungodly. You would see that gift of forgiveness that Jesus put on the doorstep of your heart and you'd say, Donnie, I've never had a time in my life that I've opened up that gift and made it mine. If you're here and perhaps you're a young person and you're struggling with doubt, I want to ask you, when did the big change come in your life? When did you have that moment that change came? Change of appetites, a change of conscience. If you're here this morning, you say, Donnie, I've never had an experience like that. I'm going to pray for you. And then it's for that reason that I'm going to ask us to come. We're going to stand together. Counselors will be here. And you're going to have an opportunity this morning to have a spiritual birthday. And then after we baptize, we're going to have a time of prayer for all other needs. But right now, I want to ask you, if you're here today, you'd say, Donnie, I have never been born spiritually. If I were to die right now, I would not spend an eternity in heaven with Jesus. And I need to nail it down in my heart of hearts this morning. It is for you that we pray. It is for you that we are here. And it's for you that God has given us this time. Lord, as we enter into this time of decision, we pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us to make decisions that will change our lives. God, we ask that you would bring us to that place of new beginning, of spiritual birth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we stand together? And as we stand, I invite our other counselors to come. I'm grateful that David's back to offer prayers and to help lead. Won't you come?